Hey everyone, it's Anu, and I want to welcome you back to the Every Writer Has a Story podcast. And I want to welcome you to season two. I can't believe there is a season two at this point. It's just a little amazing to me that we're on season two. So today I am so excited to be kicking off this season with a wonderful conversation with my dear friend, Bailey Anise Weidman. And you may know her as Joyful Dressage on Instagram, and she is one of my very good friends, and I absolutely adore her. This conversation definitely tackles some super intense topics like mental health, abuse, and the importance of impacting the sport in a way that creates space for all of us to flourish. But it's also a conversation that's filled with so much joy, pun completely intended, and just a ton of hope. And those are two things that I feel are super essential to continuing to empower ourselves and our horses. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation. I have a feeling all of you are going to enjoy it just as much as I did. today with my friend Bailey and I'm going to let her introduce herself to all of you. Hi everyone, Um, I'm Bailey Weidman. Um, I'm a dressage writer primarily, not necessarily by trade or education, but something I fell into. Um, I'm a law school graduate sitting for the bar, hopefully to be an attorney after July. And um, I currently own three horses, one of which I bred, one of which I've owned since birth, and one I've owned for 20 years. Also, like Bailey is a good friend, so I'm trying not to go completely off the off our off track here. Want to ask you all the questions, and I know we'll get into different tangents. So I'm excited about that. But could you share with everyone else who doesn't know you as well as I do how you found horses, and I guess what initially sparked your interest in them? Sure. So I think like every little girl, I was obsessed with horses in some capacity. Um, we were living with my, um, step grandma when I was a little toddler, I was probably two and we went to Costco one day and found this horse breed book. Um, and I think my mom actually bought a secondary copy of it to hold forever because the first one got so beat up from them reading to me every night, but it was like every little dog breed book, horse breed book, whatever it is, it has a bunch of, you know, breed profiles and just, um, discipline profiles and where horses came from. And I was obsessed. So I think it was for my third birthday. My parents decided to get me like a pony ride, which little did they know where that would go. Um, So to give you some idea, it's been 23 years and I've never looked back since getting in a saddle. Um, I think there is something about horses, especially as a kid who was dealing with a lot of undiagnosed anxiety. um, And I was quite shy and sensitive and horses didn't make me feel lesser than because of that. In fact, it made me feel, um, horses made me feel more empowered that I could, I could communicate on a higher level above just English and that they never judged. Um, and as you, you know, go through your preteen years and then your teenage years, 
and all of that. And things just get harder and harder um, as you go through these big social changes, your big life changes. And they always re- you know, remained a constant um, in the same capacity that I'll still go out to my horses and cry about my day and you know, talk to them about what's going on in my life. And I still feel like they're just there to support and understand and maybe give me a lick or two. Um, but I think that's what brought me to them in the first place. My parents probably would like, would have liked me to choose something else, like maybe tennis or golf, or I don't even know what else there were, I would have chosen at that rate, but it was horses from the beginning. No, oh, I love that. I also love that you had a breed book when you were younger. Cause I also had a breed book when I was younger and that led me to horses as well. <laughs> yes. Well, there's something about learning about how many there are. And where they come from, and you, you want to learn more about them because their history, yeah. like they are the history of the world in a sense. Bigger, I mean, of course, there's you learn about world history, but all of that was built on the backs of horses and unfortunately oppressed people as well. But it felt like a, at a young age, it was a it was a really interesting way to learn more about the world apart from you know my little Texas home. Yeah, absolutely, and I love that you said how horses kind of built the society that we thrive off of today which I think we often overlook like we're just like oh it's just like here's my horse and I'm gonna go ride my dressage test but like you easily forget like the history that each horse carries with them to this very day which is super special yeah I I I agree and I couldn't agree even more because I work with tracaners um and tracaners have this incredible mystical history to them that I just, I, I was so fascinated by when I was, I was a teenager or a preteen when I found out about trickaners to begin with. And I have since dedicated my life to learning their history and continuing the breed. <laughs> um, but there's just so much history built into these bloodlines. And the same thing with the big breeds like Arabs and thoroughbreds, I mean, all of them, but specifically because trickaners were so impacted by World War One and World War II, you can see how these people committed their lives to rebuilding the breed. And it is just, it makes you feel part of a bigger whole. Yeah, absolutely. And then for people who aren't quite so familiar with Tricaners and their history, could you give us like a Spark Notes version or like whatever the con- best condensed version of their history like to educate us? Absolutely. I've written many of like an article on the topic. So I'm going to do a, a short one. Tricaners originated in what was essentially like Eastern Prussia before World War I and World War II. They had their own home. It was called Tricanen. It was essentially a big stud farm. Um, They were originated from local, I'm not even going to do the like Austrian pronunciation. It's really bad. Um, From local stock and they would bring in British and German thoroughbreds and Arabs that they had imported and start crossing them with these local stock, essentially creating a warm blood of some kind. They were meant to be the ultimate cavalry horse, meaning they could do dressage, they could do eventing, they could pull a plow, they could give a lesson, they could go out to battle, they could do everything. Um, But when World War II came and, oh goodness, they were getting invaded from the north, like through Poland. And I'm I'm not sure who was coming down from that area. My World War II history itself is kind of spotty, but they were getting invaded in the dead of winter. So, you know, winter kind of up north, it's very cold. And the entire stud book had to be taken west and marched out in the snow and in the winter without these horses were essentially their family's livelihoods. It was their families and the horses. That was it. So they started marching the horses and what ended up, it was originally, um, it was something like 300,000 horses. It was a big number considering the small area it was, but um, I believe it was less than like 5,000 survived. 
after this, after they did the, what is called the trek, and you can look it up and it's really heartbreaking. So from there, they kind of relocated to West Germany. Um, the Germans helped recreate the stud book. We started doing, uh, we, they started doing really selective breeding and have, uh, and then stallions got exported to Canada first and then slowly came to America through Canada. So there's a couple of them. Nowadays, we have a couple of different verbands. We've got the German verband, which is like the, the parent registration. We have the Canadian Tricaner Association. We also have the American Tricaner Association. It's still a relatively small breed, but they're picking up because they had to get over a lot of breed stereotypes in order to um, be as appreciated as they are today. But they are becoming more and more um, trusted, especially as a closed stud book. And a closed stud book, for those who are not familiar, is you can only have tricaners, thoroughbreds, or Arabians, or some cross of that. Anglo, Anglo thoroughbred or Anglo Arabs, fine. Tricaner thoroughbreds, fine. Arab thoroughbreds, fine. But you have to have that. Um, nothing else is allowed in. So if it's a, a Dutch Hornblood or a Westphalian, whatever it might be, they're not allowed in. So I think that that's become a, it's not a huge selling point. In fact, people kind of look down upon it because it's kind of complicated and maybe a little hoity-toity but it has improved the breed exponentially in the past couple of hundred years. No, I appreciate that history. And also, I didn't really know any, like, I'll be honest, I'm not into like breeding at all. So I really appreciate the history. And then I also really appreciate you explaining what a closed stud book is. Cause yes, I can imagine a lot of people like myself are just like, Hmm, I've heard that term before, but never gotten like a good concise definition on it. So like the way you worded it was perfect. So Thank you. Um, another good, a, a good idea of a closed stud book is like the jockey club. Okay. The jockey club is nothing but thoroughbreds that okay. nothing else is allowed in um, versus most warm blood registries. And to a certain extent, American breeds, and I'm talking about like American quarter horses, because you can do um, appendix quarter horses in there and all of that. They are kind of accept all. And a lot of stallions can be approved with various associations. And while a Tricaner stallion could be approved by the Dutch Warm Blood Association or the Dutch Warm Blood Society registration, all of that, or the Westphalians or the Hanoverians, whatever it is, a Hanoverian or a Westphalian could not be approved by the Tricaners. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I can see like how people would get turned off, but I also think that like if you're especially like putting World War II into context, it was less than a century ago. I mean, mm -hmm. I can see why it's so important to hold, uphold those standards, especially while rebuilding a breed. Yeah. Yes. It's really fun to be able to track back each horse by their mare line because the Tricaners more than any of the other warm bloods prioritize the mare being of quality and of substance and um, of being a huge contributing factor. So unlike other warm blood registries where a registered name has to start with the first letter of the Stein's name or with a alphanumeric association, if you're in the KWPMs, the uh, Tricaners are named after the first letter of their registered dam's name. So all of mine are F lines. I mean, if I wasn't on board already, I am now. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they I really value it. the mares. <laughs> no, I love that so much. <laughs> so um, I know you have a couple of very special Tricaners in your life. I do. So I, do. I was wondering if you could share, and you also have one very special pony. So I was wondering if you could share a bit about your They're amazing herd. Of course. Um, so when I was about six years old, my little pony trainer, which was kind of a, I think we all had one where we wasn't really, it was English, 
but it wasn't discipline specific. You just kind of did a lot about everything. So she got a little pony in from a friend of hers who I'm actually still in contact with. And, um, he was this little chestnut Appaloosa. And so he's, he's about the size of a pony of the America. So he's 13, three. And, um, he was brought in as a lesson pony, but boy, he was way too green to be a lesson pony. And I was not experienced enough to be riding a green pony that could buck like that. We, I fell in love with him. He did buck me off the first time I rode him, but I love him. So that is Apple, um, sometimes known as Sir Apple, or depending upon his mood, Crapple or Happle. It just depends. Um, he is now going on, I say he celebrated his 27th birthday in March, but he's anywhere between 27 and 32. It really depends. Um, he and I did a whole bunch of everything together. Uh, I'm 5'8 and he's 13'3. So you know, the height discrepancy got a little weird after a while, uh, but we did jumpers. We did combined training. We did dressage. We were not good at any of them. We were really good at trail riding. So <laughs> we did a lot of that. Um, and then in 2009, Apple helped wean one of the foals that was born at my, the same trainer's farm. She was a little private trichaner breeder in Texas as well. She no longer does anything with them, but, um, I helped kind of manage the small broodmare herd that we had. It was only a couple of horses, three or four, but of high quality. And I was taking care of one of the broodmares and I'd spent a lot of time with her um, during the later stages of her pregnancy, just grooming her, taking out for walks. She was uncomfortable. Pregnancy must be miserable. And um, I got a call one morning that about a month early, um, a little baby had arrived. So I went down and I was the first person in the pen and we had this shockingly chestnut filly out of all of the years we'd had foals and none of them had been red. So it was a bit of a surprise to everyone. And, um, she just, she came up to me when I walked into the pen and she blew in my face, like horses exchanging breath do. And I talked to her and it was like, she recognized my voice from when I've been talking to her mom for so long and she laid down on my feet. So that's joy. Um, <laughs> there's never been an opportunity for me to have a life without her. She, I mean, I was, I was 14 at the time and I was, I was sold. I didn't know anything else about where my life would go, but I knew it had her in it. So um, a couple of weeks later, I was 14 and I negotiated my first contract. It's illegal now, as I've realized after law school, um, but she turned into my FEI horse. So we did everything together. Um, she's even done a little bit of combined training and eventing with a dear friend of mine. Uh, she was a high point merit, her trainer inspection, which considering she's 15, three was kind of a, a big shock. She was a, it was really nice to have that kind of pat on the back. Um, she helped me earn my USDF, uh, bronze medals for achievements at first, second, and third level. And then she also helped me earn my USDF silver at achievements in fourth and fourth level in pre-St. George. So when she helped me do that, she was actually pregnant. I brought her because I was going off to law school. Um, and I knew that I was going to need to commit a lot more time to that. Um, and she had already proven herself to be a huge value to the breed at the bare minimum. And then also a, a really exceptional dressage horse, especially coming from someone with very little means and, um, not a lot of access to training. So I was doing a lot of the work by myself and it was, it was flawed, but it was good. Like the basis was there. So in 2018, I was lucky enough to, um, welcome my second big chestnut filly into the world. Um, and that's Posey. She is out of joy, obviously, and by Lord Loxley. He is a Grand Prix trainer stallion out of Wellington, Florida. Not only did he compete successfully through Grand Prix and earn his performance gold designation through the Trainer Association for Chief Mets at Grand Prix, he also 
kind of show the versatility of the breed being a completely intact stallion and help is trying to help qualify um, a young teenage boy for the Paralympics in dressage. So I'm really excited about that to see trickiners be highlighted on a completely different level. Posey just turned three and has recently started her under saddle career to which she's taking to very well. And um, yeah, I just have the three of them. It sounds like just three of them, but it's really quite a lot of work. But I love them all dearly and they all happen to be redheads. I don't know. I have a thing, I guess. No, that's totally fair. I mean, first of all, I don't know how anyone can resist a baby horse, let alone being a teenager and having that happen to me. I would have just been like, this horse is mine. There's <laughs> no. like the milk breath and the yeah. curly whiskers and the, I mean, the sugar sweet soft nose. And then she was, because she was so early, there were some issues we had to deal with later in her life. But she was so little. It was like being around a pony. I loved it. I could not, I could not say no. There was no way I was going to say no because I I asked her breeder. I was like, so what are your plans with her? She's like, well, we have to sell her. And I was like, I would like to you to sell her to, uh, (laughs) to, to me. If you're going to get rid of her, I would like her to go to me, please. So we talked about it (laughs) and then, you know, I eventually bought her when she was about six months old, but she had been mine since the beginning. And I got to do all the fun stuff, like haltering, teaching to pick up feet, baths (laughs) it's so much work like anyone is is getting like a three or four year old who's already been handled I'm like I hope you know how many thousands of hours have been put into that animal because it is not like they just are birthed perfect picking up their feet putting the halter on getting shots getting warmer (laughs) you just touched upon one of my most highly contested mentally topics is that I, I want people to give credit to the people who, who helped that young horse, who helped form it. Yeah. It's not like I'm selling any of my young horses. They're for me. That's, I can't breed and sell. That's, that was not what Posey was for to begin with. She was bred to be my, my future partner. But I think that there are a lot of people who, um, who ignore the fact that someone put in the time to teach that halter for the first time, to introduce them to shots, to take them on their first trail ride, to be the first person to swing a leg over. And people forget that. And it kind of loses the mysticism of what we get to do with these horses and how they pass all of the knowledge down from one person to another, to us. And that's my, one of my big things is having seen everything with joy and now everything with Posey over these years, it would be really easy for people to just be like, oh my gosh, she's naturally really cool. I'm really level-headed. And you're like, that one is of them hours are. upon hours of time that's, dedicated. That's exposure. <laughs> that's blood, sweat, and tears. That's literally me staying up at night making training plans because I can't sleep and it's 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I, you understand that too because you have a young horse. Um, and I think a lot of people really, really miss an opportunity to give some praise to the people who helped make those horses. Absolutely. And also, I think if you haven't I think it's something that you can't appreciate until you've done it yourself. Like I was like, oh, like mm-hmm. I've done everything. I have my off the track thoroughbred. And no, like if you have an off the track thoroughbred, they've been handled by hundreds of people, seen and done everything. Like those horses have had so much work into put into them. And like starting with like a blank slate is just like, I'm like, dang, like how are we going to do this? And what's the breakdown? And like, right. how are we going to split the time? And how do I measure your progress? So how do I make the stair step process? To intru- How do I break down these enormous concepts that we take for granted in other horses and yeah. in, in horses that have a, have had a ridden career already 
how do we break those down and introduce those to babies in five minute segments? Because their brains are too ADD. How do do we start that? It, it, it's um, where to start too. That's right. It's like, where does one even begin? So it is, but it is, I, I have to say, and I know that this sentiment rings true for you as well. It is the most rewarding thing that I've done with horses. I, if I, in a, in an ideal world, I would just like have a small breeding stable that was high quality and just work with babies all day. Cause I love it so much, even if it's, it's hard, but I, there's something so immediate about the light bulbs that click and um, you can see the progress every day and you can feel progress with horses under saddle too, but it's exposing these little wee babes to things that are going to make them solid citizens in the future. And that's just, I mean, is there anything better than that? No, there's not. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) There's not. It's always like, even with Neo right now, like, it's just like even developing those communication patterns in the beginning and then seeing them like ripple down now I'm just like oh wait like that's something we worked on when you were like a week old and now we're recalling it so it's always I don't know I think it's an experience that like you can't always articulate to others and that like other people don't necessarily understand until they've had like because I've known Mio since he was five days old. So like, not no, like you. No, he was the cutest wee babe. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, and you can't explain that to other people until they've, you know, made that leap of faith where they commit Absolutely. to a young horse. And then you're just like, okay, like buckle in. And I told my mom, I was like, I feel like we could do another horse, but like, I need my own place. Like I can't do it not at home again. So yeah, it's a, having your own place really does help for those who don't know. I do keep my, we rent a small property out in the hill country of Texas. And so we have a a small little eight acre farm and small, meaning there's like only two donkeys instead of a herd. And there's only three horses instead of a dozen, but there's, um, having them here has given me much more access and confidence in what I do just because I can go out and work on it three times a day. If I need to, if I need to split that 10 minutes up into two and a half minute segments, I have the ability to do that, to wake up early, to go into the barn. And then there's something to be said about learning your horse's habits at home that really help, uh, help you understand who they are. Because despite what a lot of people think, horses are like fully formed personalities and you have to work with them. You have to learn how to work. Um, but that has been a, a really, I, I, I know that Posey would have been fine in other situations. She is, she's just the coolest. Like there's, she's so cool. Um, versus Joy would have really benefited from just being on a property like this. Um, back when she was, you know, full to three-year-old, she would have really thrived in the situation. And it would have given her a lot more confidence that I did not as a teenager have the ability to do on someone else's property um, it, you know you, there are things you can't control in that situation yeah. so absolutely I can't no, wait for you to get your farm uh, I'm ready I'm ready I have a plan I'm gonna make <laughs> it happen then you'll have to come visit clearly <laughs> you'll have to bring I'm just gonna your- trailer up there for a summer yeah and we're just gonna have like adult pony camp I am 100% ready for that. I will make sure Joy and Posey and if Apple wants to come, if the donkeys want to come, they can all come. I don't mind. Boy, we're just going to need to get one of those horse fans, you know, that they, yeah. they do all the fancy horses on. I'm just going to like load my, my herd on like an arc and yeah. we'll bring the tiny dogs and the husband and we'll just go Perfect. have a party. 
That'd be awesome. <laughs> it will be. It will be. I'm definitely looking forward to that day of having my own place and then just having friends over. <laughs> so it's yeah. pretty nice. Yeah. You'll no. enjoy it. I promise. I think I will. <laughs> yeah. But I was wondering if you could share. So you gave us like a brief overview, but I know when I first started following you, the one thing that like really attracted me to your profile was joy she's just like such an amazing mayor and like also I think it's because I saw like aspects of a Katie's mirrored in her and then also an apple and I was just like I was like what are these horses I would like to know because so, <laughs> like joy I think you posted some pictures of her doing like her half pass and like that's exactly like a Katie's like you can tell they just like light up and they're like I love lateral work and like I just think she's an amazing nurse. I'm wondering if you could share a bit more about her and your journey together. Oh, I would love to. <laughs> um, Joy is, Joy had the sacrificial lamb quality in the sense that we, I had been riding dressage for quite some time, quite some time as you can when you're a teenager, I guess. And Uh, we had a situation come up where I had to move away from my childhood barn and it was kind of unceremonious and heartbreaking, especially because I was about to turn 18. That's just such a big part of your life. And it was really hard to figure out what to do next because Joy had just turned three and we didn't have the funds. I mean, my horses literally moved to my front yard, which is about an acre um, at my parents' house. And I had to figure out how to just care for her, much less work on her training and have dreams and goals. Um, And she, she, the sacrificial limb quality is that she's the first one that I had to do. I had a horse that I had to work with without guidance. I didn't have any, I had a mentor that I could see occasionally and, um, and a lot of YouTube videos that I watched and a lot of volunteering at shows to, so I could scribe. Um, But Joy just has this fantastic, people get the wrong impression of her because she can be, she's got a, a big personality and she can be a little, not marish because I hate that adjective, um, but she has really high standards for people. She has standards of how she wants people to work with her. And I'm guilty of imposing those standards. Like I'm the one who told her that that was the right thing to do. Sometimes it makes for complicated rides for other people. If you can get her to canner, you're, you're lucky, but that's on me as well. Um, so I, as a three-year-old, she was quite immature. She was maybe 15 one. Um, Joy has no markings other than this really cute little squiggle star and a lot of white scars because she liked to sleep in round bale holders as a baby. Right. It was really great having to get her out of that a lot. Um, and so I, when I started her in the spring of 2012, around her third birthday, she was so amenable and willing and, um, never said no. And I knew that that would be really easy to take advantage of. It's really easy when you have a baby like that with a really good brain, but a body that's not ready to keep up to just continue pushing. And I knew that that was not it. So the separation between me and my trainer at the time kind of worked because then she got three to four months off and grew a whole bunch and was able to come back into work. So we started doing little schooling shows. Um, we would traditionally, we would walk down to a, a property that I rented their arena a couple times a week. It was like a two and a half mile walk one way with a green broke three-year-old. Um, we saw some javelina, some coyotes, rattlesnakes, the whole thing. 
And, uh, but all of those walks really built up this incredible trust that we were having to face all these weird, unmanicured horse things that otherwise she would not have seen. And that was exceptional preparation for the rest of her life. Um, she very quickly showed me that she had an aptitude for dressage. She was not bred for dressage. She was just bred to be like a nicely bred chicaner. Her sire was a, a mediocre hunter at best, but a really nice looking horse. And her dam was um, an Anglo trichaner who had broken her shoulder as a, as a yearling, I believe. So while she was serviceably sound and comfortable, she was not ever going to be a riding horse, um, but she had nice bloodlines. And so she was used as a breeder. And I kind of thought that I'd ridden through like third level once or twice. And I thought, you know, if I could get this horse to second level, I would, I would be really happy. I, I, would, I think that she can do that. And she continued to show up every time in spades and exceed expectations, especially because she was just so, um, people don't take her seriously. People don't take me seriously. We were not, we didn't have a lot of glitz and glam. She was pretty small. She ended up being 15, three, got those last two inches. Um, and she's not the biggest mover. In fact, she's, she's a very correct mover, but she's not of, of modern dressage horse movement where it's a lot of knee action. She's quite flat. Um, but it all made for she, her attitude where she showed up every single day, especially it shows because she loves to travel. She loves going new places, made this experience so fun. So we got through second level successfully scoring in the seventies, which was a big old shock. Um, and I was like, I guess I got to put a change on her. Is that the next thing I do? Is that, is that third level? So we saw my mentor a couple of times and did a couple of clinics and eventually I got changes on her and about with about 60 days of that, what kind of work we went out at third level entered my bronze um, in my last year of being a junior young writer I was turning 21 that year, which was the biggest achievement I'd ever had in my life. And I was so shocked that it was really great because I was really involved in my local dressage chapter and it, everyone kind of showed out. It came out to like support that, even though one of the tests is really good. And one of them was really bad. They did show up for it. And that was really great. Um, and then after that, I kind of thought, well, this guy's the limit, I guess. So we started training with a, a trainer who I'd been stalking for a couple of years. Sorry, bud, you know, it works, but he helped kind of take me over the hump into fourth level, which was un was territory that I'd never been a part of. And then into pre-St. George and schooling all of the I one, um, it, it's, it was weird. It's a, it was a big jump, but joy made everything seem doable. Um, while she has big opinions and while she really expects a lot of her writer, usually me, and I usually fail, she never holds a grudge and she's always willing to show up and try again. Um, and that has made for just a, a, a awesome career to be a part of. Um, she did really well at regionals for the two times that we went and then showing her off to the, the trichaner board and having such high quality compliments was, was a huge gift. Um, and even, you know, we've had some on and offs in the past year because we were dealing with some, not necessarily lameness issues, but just some offness in her body that I was having trouble diagnosing. And I think we finally figured it out and we're back on track, but even then she was willing to keep going even being uncomfortable, she was ready to get back in the arena. So I'm really hoping that we can return to training after the, the bar, because honestly, if she never wanted to do dressage again, that would be fine with me. If she wanted to take up cutting, we would do it. 
if she wanted to, if she wanted to go and be a little hunter jumper, I would find a jump saddle. I, you know, it's just doing anything with her is fun. And then having her uh, be a mom was even cooler. Um, and now having this little foal that I always expected would be really like her and was not in any way, <laughs> like was the complete opposite, um, has been an exceptionally eye-opening experience and how I manage joy and how I can translate that to other horses. Um, but she's just done, she's done everything in the world for me. And in return, I get to like hang out with her every day and call her pretty and feed her treats and occasionally do some really cool dressage stuff. Um, she's just been, she's a, she's a gift. She's uh, a once in a lifetime kind of horse. No, she's amazing. Also, I really enjoy everything you post about her. Like every time I see her, <laughs> I'm like, dang, that's a horse. Like I really like horses who are sensitive and I can't stand like over articulated knee action. It's just not my jam. Like I know it's for some people, no. it's not for me. So like every time I see her, I'm just like, that's a nice horse. Like, I'm just like, that looks like a horse. I would enjoy being around, which is not the case. Like when I see other horses online. It's just like, I like horses who are sensitive and smart. And like, every time I see Joy, I'm just yeah. like, sensitive, smart. She's a supermodel, everything one needs. In a she certainly horse. knows when a camera is out. <laughs> uh, she is, she's not the hottest horse I've ever ridden, but she backs up being very, very sensitive with, um, with very high standards. And I, love it. I had a joke with a, a girlfriend of mine that um, if we were ever to put up a sales ad for her, um, it would be like, has a strong opinion of right and wrong. You're always wrong. She's always right. <laughs> she is. It's just at the end of the day. But that doesn't mean that she's, she's unsafe. At no point in my life with her have I ever felt like she was unsafe or unmanageable or way too hot for me to comprehend. I, I put a, I'll, I'll put a six-year-old on her any day. As a five-year-old, she was getting pony rides. Um, and, or, you know, going and hopping around with a friend of mine who wasn't super experienced in dressage. And she, she shows all of that tracaner versatility with the exceptional brain that I think comes with the breed too. And it's just, it's a fantastic thing to be a part of because you meet her and she exudes this, this like electric energy. And it's been that way since she was born. That's one of the reasons that when she came out to me, it felt like I was like, I, that's how people say it in rom-coms, right? Like there was a spark right? Between the couple. That's exactly what it felt like. I was like, oh my God, that's love. That's it. I'm going to be a part of that forever. Um, and it's never changed and it's never waned. It's just grown over the years. And I, you know, while she'll never be the, the fanciest and scoring in the seventies and at the FEI levels, she's a solid citizen and she's a citizen that I can go school I won one day. And then I can go on a eight mile trail ride the next day. And then the day after that, we can go swimming. And she's the same horse, no matter what. And she's trustworthy. Um, and it's been, it's just such a, like, I'll put my husband on her to go for a trail ride. Aww. And, and she takes great care of him. <laughs> um, but she's just been, it, it, I could talk about her forever. She's a delight. And she is an exceptionally talented dressage horse. Aww. She's very good at that. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I love what you said about feeling that instant connection with her I'll be honest like for me and horses it's always been like a build up to the connection but the only time I felt like an instant like okay we're about to be best friends is when I met Mio and it was the same thing Aww. like 
he was hiding behind his mom and then like he saw me and kind of peeked out and then he was just like just like put his head up marched right over and like fit his muzzle into my hand and he was just like we're friends and I was like I was like we are friends (laughs) friends. yeah so I love that you share that connection with joy and you talked a little bit about Posey could you share a little more about her of course Posey's my little flower child she like she belongs in the 70s with like a a flower ring on her head and probably listening to like the Grateful Dead she is such a hoot um when I bred Joy there were very specific things I was looking to improve on but there were specific things that I wanted to keep because they were very high quality already and I it it took me five years on top of all of my studies and the of the trainer breed and what I wanted to be a part of um, to find the right cross. I really waited and I did, wanted to do my time um, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to breed something that was not of quality or that not, did not have a, um, a future. It, worse comes to worse. Like I wanted, if something happened to me and she had to go somewhere else, I wanted to make sure that she would have a safe place to fall. Um, you know, if something horrible was to happen, whatever problem. Um, funny story when joy was pregnant uh we the name had to start with an f right um so joy joy's name is fair joy her uh dam's name is fair diva then it was fair rock and then it was fair like there's a whole bunch of f lines so posy was um is fanfare um so before that i was kind of expecting like in my in my dreams i hoped for a chestnut filly that's I really wanted that but i knew that i would i would love no matter what is everything as long as everyone was healthy and safe i'd be okay so when, um, when I saw Posey get delivered and my husband and I had to be involved because Posey ended up being quite big and Joy being maiden is also quite small. So, and I've had experience doing with foaling before. So it's not like this was something that I was unprepared for, but it certainly was a little bit more involved than I had planned. Um, I saw these two little white feet pop out and I was like, what are those socks? And as the, we finally got her out, uh, you know, I had been calling this full F-bomb because I assumed I was going to be dropping, dropping a lot of F-bombs when I was training it. Because I had also assumed that this was going to be like a little bay cult with a pissing attitude. I was ready. I was just ready for it. And then we got Posey out and she is now, she's 16 too, which was way bigger than she was ever supposed to be. Um, and she has four white socks and a star. Um, and she's just like, so freaking cool. I, I've never worked with a horse like her. She thinks that every person, whether it's the UPS driver, the FedEx driver, um, anyone driving by that goes to our gate, she thinks it's her new best friend. She wants to be best friends with everyone. She whinnies at everything and she never says no. Um, she wants to work. She wants to learn. Um, it's been, a, a bit of a, a reality check because I was so used to Joy, who is quite hot, quite sensitive. And Posey's not that way. Posey doesn't care. <laughs> and so it took some adjusting because I had fully anticipated having like a, a little Joy clone. And I, instead, I've even talked to the to the Stein's owner and we don't know where she came from because the Stein is quite serious. He, he They joke that he's the professor in the barn and Joy's quite serious. And Posey is just like, she could do stand-up comedy if she was a person and you know, she'd be bad at it, but she would make everyone laugh too. Um, so it's been, it's been a really great experience 
working with her and seeing the differences between them. People always want me to compare and find similarities and they have none. They're just both red and they're not even the same shade of red. Like Joy's almost liver and Posey's pretty bright. Um, and bringing her in to under saddle work was, came with a little bit of trepidation because she was, it's been a while since I've started a baby. It's been, you know, I don't know, five years or something like that. And she's quite big. <laughs> she's quite athletic. I was a, a little um, fun story. I broke my ankle in 2019 in December after a really stupid dismount. So I was kind of worried about re-breaking my ankle if I fell. Um, she has just taken everything in stride so much so that just like Joy, I've had to back off because there's no need for me to keep pushing. There's no need for me to have her in a structured program. We're not trying to do the FEI four-year-olds or anything like that. The next year of her life is just about becoming an educated, solid citizen and growing into herself because she is just enormous. She's so, she looks like a real horse already and she shouldn't. I'm used to little gangly babies. Um, but she is taken to, to everything. Just like Joy, she, she likes to travel, which is great. I love that. I love being able to take her on adventures and trust her. Um, we go on five mile trail walks just in hand and go swimming and, um, she just makes me smile. She's so fun and so sweet and there's nothing, she doesn't hold anything. There's nothing naughty in there. It's always what you see is what you get. You're going to know if she's in a teenage mood that day and we're going to work around it. We're just not going to focus on those things. Um, and she's just, she's been such a cool, cool horse to have as a part of my life. And I really cannot see what the wait to see what the future holds with her. I won't push it this year, but I'm looking forward to next year. Yeah. No, Posey is just so like bold with joy all the time. And like, yes, <laughs> the videos of her, like I specifically remember, I think it was like before her sec- first or second birthday. I can't remember, but um, there was like one of her, like just like zooming down a hill or something. <laughs> and I was just like, she looks like she's having a blast. And that's like what all, and I guess that's like another topic to dive into, but I always appreciate seeing your horses turned out on like great, like, you know, like different gradations, living their best life. Like it just makes my heart happy to see. And then Posey just like zooming around is, I mean, who could have a bad day after seeing that? <laughs> it's it's really hard to have a bad day around her. I mean, of course there are times where she is a young horse and it, it requires some adjusting because she always feels so mature. Um, it's really like working. It's, it's like working with a lifelong best friend already. And it's only been three years, but yes, she, I'm really pleased that we had the opportunity to raise her here. Um, our property has, you know, the, the ground isn't always great and sure. It does not have a beautifully manicured arena. It has a dirt one. It has an arena. It's just dirt, but all of the, the property has really benefited her body. And I can tell because joy did not have the similar opportunities that she does that Posey does. Um, you know, we were living in relatively flat land. She was essentially dry lotted again, things I did not have much control over as a, as a 15, 16 year old. And there were some nutritional things that I was able to put into practice with Posey early. And it's also clearly benefited her, but she has, she lives a pretty good life. You know, she occasionally (laughs) we maybe lunge once or twice a week. And I, at this rate, hop on maybe once a week for like 10 minutes. And the rest of the time she gets to go play. She gets to go be a horse. If I had another young horse with her, I would love that. But considering the, the facilities that 
a lot of young horses, especially a lot of young warm bloods grow up in, I think that she is probably more set up for success than a lot of them. And she gets to have a lot more fun. She just yeah. gets to be a rowdy. No, I love that. I also agree that young horses should be turned out. That was like, he mm-hmm. was the first baby I've raised, but that was like 100%. I was like, no matter what, he needs to be out just living his life in a herd dynamic where he can grow flourish because they don't have any other jobs when they're that little they just need to like no. be safe they need to learn how to be horses yeah <laughs> we um posey actually had a kind of a scare oh gosh she was like maybe five months old um where she showed up like three-legged lame one night oh, no. and could not get up and i was nothing had happened there was nothing going on so she had a, it was not OCD and it was not a lesion. It was, there was an abnormality in her hawk, um, in her hind left hawk, I believe it was her hind right actually. Cause I just did her insurance paperwork and had to report that. Um, but she had to be on stall rest for six weeks as a five month old and which broke my heart because that I'd never wanted to do that to my poor kid. And I mean, despite what most young horses could do, you know, lose their minds and be frustrated and become maybe even self-destructive. Like I know Joy would have at that age, because that's how, that's who Joy is. Um, Posey handled it like a champ. She was rowdy, but no more than you would expect from a kid. And the leg healed really well, but it really superimposed this idea that we have to have adequate turnout and adequate socialization, even if it's not Yes, there are horses that cannot go out in big herds, certainly. Um, but we have to give them the opportunity to socialize, whether it's over a fence or in stalls where they can touch each other. Um, I'm not, I'm a huge proponent for 24 hour turnout if, if capable, right? I have the facilities where that's something I can do. I've also boarded places where that was not something that could happen and you just have to work with what you have. But if you do have to stall, then you have to make it still like a social experience, you know, let them nibble at each other between the the bars don't have these like concrete wall bars that look like solitary isolation. We have to, we have to keep doing, I mean, solitary isolation is already cruel and unusual punishment for people. And we are, yeah, we're pack animals in general, but horses are innately herd prey animals. We have to give them what is essentially a fundamental right. We, we cannot deny that. Um, no matter if your horse is a Grand Prix horse or if it's a, a wee little babe like Apple who just gets to hang out and be retired, they still deserve that socialization in some capacity. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I don't know, at least in my experience, because like you said, sometimes it's not within your control. And I've been at boarding facilities where it's definitely not like you get yeah. the turnout time you get and that's what you have to be satisfied with. But I have noticed like with Acadies, there was a huge jump in his like resiliency like after workouts that where he was just yes. like oh yeah I can come back and do it again whereas before when we were unlimited it was just like here he comes again and he's sore and like how am I going to combat this so I'm always happy to see other equestrians like advocating for that kind of lifestyle for their horses because it does make a huge difference whether or not you want to acknowledge it the science proves it so yes it really does I'm, I'm one of the things that i'm really loving about this younger generation of equestrians is their willingness to advocate for clear wrongs that they see yeah. it's something that i know that our generation struggled with maybe it's because we didn't have social media in the same capacity that young writers do today a benefit and a detriment but it certainly has given given everyone a platform to advocate for these kinds of things and i 
I feel remarkably lucky to be in, in a small position where people maybe pay attention to some of the things that I say and to be able to share those kinds of things. It's funny we're talking about this because, um, so my pony Apple damaged his check ligament um, about a month ago. And while it's not, the prognosis is not grim, I've been really careful because traditionally all three of my horses go out together all the time with the donkeys and it's no big deal. Posey and Apple play, um, but Posey has gotten really big and really strong. And I'm a little worried about reintroducing them for the moment uh, while Apple is supposed to be on pasture rest. I just don't want to take a chance at at Posey. She likes to play. She's just quite big and he is very little. (laughs) Like there's close to a three hand difference between them now. Um, So I I tried to do something different in my setup yesterday. Um, I have a big pasture with a couple of little run-in pastures and I didn't want him to be completely separated from the girls while they were all, you know, the wandering around their big pasture. And so I built this little pasture for him and it was good because he could touch the mares and he could see them and he could do all of those things. But I went out to check on him before I did turn in. Um, I was eating dinner and I just wanted to make sure he was okay. He was standing in the corner of his pasture facing the girls who were three and a half acres away and stand, he wasn't eating. He has like lush grass everywhere. And he's just standing there looking at them and it broke my heart. Yeah. I mean, I felt like such a bad mom and I knew I was doing it for his benefit. But even then, as soon as he came in, I was like, no, dude, we're, you're going to go with joy. Like I'm going to make up for this. I promise. And I can't imagine seeing horses just dry lotted looking like that all the time, pining. It, it really just shatters me, yeah. um, especially knowing that Apple is the, he's the submissive in the herd. He's the lowest rung in our herd. And even he wanted to be with them like he, and he's used to being beat up and he still wanted to be with them. Um, even though he's kind of in pain, he's mostly serviceably sound. We're just doing the rest to make sure nothing else gets damaged. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, so I made sure this morning he went out with joy <laughs> so he could, he could get that, that, that time that he was so clearly pining for it. Yeah. Oh God. I felt, I just like cried on the porch. It was awful. Yeah. I felt so bad. <laughs> no, it's it's so tough like I think people take for they really don't value the relationships that horses build at like the level they're at like we don't think that they have these super deep meaningful connections or friendships or like they build that familial bond but they definitely do like I mean you can't just like and that's what I think is really traumatic about like having to move somewhere new is that you're breaking yes. that bond without explanation to your horse. And you're just saying, it's like taking a kid out of school, but not being able to tell them what's happening. Yep, exactly. And it's a heartbreaking. Like you said, you're just yes. like, man, like, what did I do to you, my horse? You feel yeah. like a real POS, even though you know you're making the, the right choice for them, but it's still it just like, it sits on your heart. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny because Apple actually weaned joy. He weaned most of the foals on our, on our breeding farm that I worked on. And uh, there was a couple of times where they had to be separated for some reason. There was a little while where he was like, um, he was leased out to a a lovely family with their young kids because Apple thrives with children. He's just a great teacher. He was a therapeutic riding pony for three or four years. And he just, that was his niche. He found it. Um, But that meant that Joy was home with me. And then there was, you know, he had to, he went to all pasture board while Joy was going to another, um, to, to board while I could train. But I would always, um, when I farm sat, most of the farms that I sat for, let me bring my horses. And so I'd go pick up Apple and I'd go pick up Joy. And then they'd reunite and you could hear them crying for each other as soon as the trailer pulled up. 
Like they knew who it was and they, they never missed a beat. They were right. You know, they were the same that they had been since she was six months old. Um, and it's just, God, like what a, what a weight to carry around. Um, when you're responsible for that kind of stuff, it's, it must be nice to be able to put that responsibility onto someone else. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Must be great. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that like once you see it or become aware of it, you can't unsee it. And that's like yes. I think the really hard part of being in the sport and being conscious of like the ethics ethical that, issues. Yes. 100%. It's just like once you like I always tell my dad, you can't unring the bell. Like once it's there, there's no going back. Like you're going to see it and then you're going to have to deal with like the all the ramifications um, yeah. of becoming um, slightly more uh, compassionate the, and empathetic yeah, towards your horses. Right. And, and knowing suddenly that there's more. Yeah, absolutely. And that's rough. Yeah, it can definitely send you into a bit of a crisis for a bit. But Living yeah. in oblivion must be nice. All I have to say, yeah. <laughs> like, it, it must be nice to not think about any of those things, but I wouldn't be able to do this any other way absolutely yeah and I know you wouldn't either no I know many people I think that I look up to and admire and am friends with would not be able to treat their horses any other way than with compassion and kindness at least I I hope that's the case fingers crossed yeah absolutely yeah so I'm wondering because you've done a great job of developing joy through the resources that you've had and same with Posey. So I'm wondering if you have any advice for riders who are looking to do the same, like develop their horses or even their careers in a more ambitious direction, but with limited resources. Sure. Um, I think it's really important to not measure your level of success against people who are not working on the same playing field. It's not fair, right? excuse me you when I was a young writer I would you know I was 16 and 16 17 18 whatever it was no that's wrong wait a second I got to do math and that's not a strong suit that's why I went to law school um I was in my teen my late teens I was essentially like the mentor age for the mentee juniors right and I was writing first level and second level and they're trying to get their silver medals on schoolmasters and go for the young writer teams and stuff of course, something I supported, but it was really strange to see that. And I realized really quickly that it, it didn't serve me to try and compare my journey with anyone else's because they weren't working with what I did. Um, that's one of those reasons that I don't think that people can comment on online about your training methods or your horse or anything like that, because they have no idea what you're doing, what you're going through, what you're working with. So um, with joy in particular, because I had built a great connection with a mentor of mine and my dad is exceptionally supportive. And we, we tried to do lessons whenever we could with people that came to town. It was very infrequent though. I mean, I think I saw my mentor like twice a year, if that, and maybe went to one clinic a year. Um, we were accepted to the George Williams clinic, the young rider clinic for region nine in 2015, which was a wonderful experience but not something that we would have been able to do very often. It was, it was, a, it was a commitment, but I learned that online resources are your friend. And I'm not talking about rail birds. Those are not your friends, but YouTube, 
It's exceptional. If you're like me, you are visually oriented. And one of the things that I found is if you go to YouTube and you find, you're trying to figure out what a nice like training level test looks like, right? You're trying to figure out ways of finding that. The USDF has done a great job um, uploading symposiums for people with like Debbie McDonald, with George Williams, all of those kinds of people. But also you can find just regular old people who are willing to upload their tests to YouTube for criticism and share the score. And maybe even if you're lucky, find the comments and the scoring for each level. Dressage is a numbers game at the end of the day. And the more time you commit to learning the, um, the directives of the level and what they're trying to do, the better you can serve your horse by preparing them in the right way. And a lot of people kind of skip over that. It's like at the top of the, at the top of the test, there's a purposes yeah. <laughs> box. That's where you should spend your time. It's not the rest of the stuff. No, I couldn't um, agree more. I mean, like every, I know when I study for like a dressage test, that's where I'm at is like right there. And then I'm just like, okay, mm-hmm. what is this? But like, I was talking to a couple of my friends and they're like, no, I don't really look. I'm like, what are you doing with your life? Like, I have many questions. How do you have the confidence to just go in without studying the test? Like what is going right. on? And it felt really important, especially bringing up a young horse that I tried not to skip any steps. In all honesty, of course I did because I was a teenager and I was trying to work with what I had, but that doesn't mean we were not successful in my version of success. My version of success was going to shows, which we didn't get to do very often. It was maybe twice a year if we were lucky, having a positive experience, no matter what. Joy was a reactive young horse. Sometimes it meant that we did a lot of extra circles or we did a lot of interpretive movements in the ring. But the point was riding through those movements and continuing to go back to the work. Um, and that was kind of the cherry on top because showing is like the cherry on top of having a horse of, of no matter what you do. So I thought it was just great to be there. Um, but it did come away with a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of valuable feedback. So I tried to take that feedback. I tried to compare it to YouTube videos that I could find. I would try and ride anyone's horse that they would let me anyone's <laughs> so like, give me your ponies, give me your rescues. I did the whole lady Liberty thing. Bring me your, you're tired and poor. Um, and that really helped a lot because I, there's this feeling that you get with a horse that you know really well when they start to feel something different. And a lot of the time you don't know what's happening. Um, but that, that helped a lot. Um, I think a lot of it was scribing too. I know that many people are not willing to volunteer their early mornings on Saturdays and Sundays to horse shows that they're not riding. And, uh, and I cannot recommend doing it more, even if that just means that you are a, you're a ring, like a, a ring steward and doing the, the bit checks and everything, which is something I've done as well. You still get to watch a ton of people ride. And then you can p- go and look at the scoreboards. You know, you can make notes for yourself and, and compare and contrast, but the most valuable thing in the world is scribing. To be fair, this is for dressage, you know, jump, show jumping and eventing. I still think you should scribe because the foundation for everything is dressage, but I made some really wonderful professional connections and had some fantastic conversations with judges about tests, about what they're looking for, about what are markers that are indications that they see bigger things or return to the fundamentals. That was a tremendous help. Um, and then also as a, as a teenager, I was essentially a working student and an exercise writer for a couple of barns, which I can't recommend enough. As a future lawyer, I have some issues with like the labor laws, 
But if you can have the opportunity to do manual labor in return for some lessons on anyone's horses, including your own, you have this opportunity to learn a ton and to ride as many horses as you can. So at the end of the day, my big advice is ride every single horse you can get your hands on. Take all of the lessons that you can from people, whether that's just because you're auditing lessons or you're auditing a clinic, which are two things you have to do, I think, as a rider. Um, And even if that means that you're learning things that you don't want to implement, that's as important as learning things that you want to try and um, try and fulfill and try and replicate at home. But I think all of that really, really served me well with joy. Um, Then, of course, there was the point where I knew that I'd reached my knowledge barrier. I, you know, there was a certain point that I was like, I don't, I could fumble my way through this, but that's not fair to her anymore. And that's when I stalked a trainer for two years to see what he was like um, in the warm up arena with his students at lessons at home. You want to make sure you find someone who is, um, you don't really judge a rider by what they do in the show ring. You do, you judge a rider by what they do when no one's watching. And that's kind of what I wanted to do was stalk him for that. And I found him and he's been, he's been excellent since, um, that was the, that's the really nice thing. But even then I've still continued to try and fulfill my education in other ways, you know, mostly online, especially during COVID, um, trying to get as much inspiration and question-making as you can. And then if you're ever in a place, um, sit for your L, which is the first level of judge that you can. That's one of my 2020, 2022 goals is to sit for my L. So, um, you, you can do it if you're an, an adult amateur, you don't have to become an open if you do it. Um, and I think even if you use it as an, uh, um, an opportunity to continue your education, you really should. No, I love those and then, suggestions. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, please. all of those things served Posey as well. Um, yeah. I think especially cause I had to do some refreshers on young horse stuff. It's been a while, um, but a lot of internet resources. And if anyone who listens to this, wants internet resources. I, I have a running list of them that I keep for everyone. Um, I think that it's really important that we try and use what we can and support each other in the financial hardship that is being horse poor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I love that you touched on making the most of the resources that are available to us, because I feel like it can become really easy to get super comparative real fast and then be like man if I just had like that extra like you know ten thousand dollars a month what a change that would be and it's like oh boy yeah <laughs> like, I would kill to have ten thousand dollars like every two years at this rate same same, same. we could make that work <laughs> yeah. no absolutely so I really appreciate you talking about the resources that we can immediately access and impact our like not only our horses but ourselves as well like I think yeah. it's been especially the past like year and a half, it's been very easy to get sucked into the whole of like, oh, well, I don't have anything and there's limited circumstances. But I think it's always refreshing to hear that like we can choose to make that change and we can choose to make it now by accessing what is available to us. Yes, it's. I think it's kind of empowering because at the end of the day, you can be in charge of your own education. Um, it's kind of like going to college, right? Like you can choose the courses that you pick, but you just have to choose them. Like you have to make that choice and that's the struggle. You have to be willing to make the sacrifice to get up early or to commit two hours of your day to commuting so you can ride or, you know, it's, you just have to be willing to 
I don't know, show everyone who's boss and, and do what's right for yourself yeah. and do what's more importantly, right for your horse. And if you're in a situation where you can't afford fancy trainers or fancy boarding stables or anything like that, you don't need them. You need them to maybe do it on a different level. But if you're doing it for the love of the horse and for your own education and for making yourself a better pair together, there are plenty of options that will help that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the reason why we don't see quite as much, or at least I think we don't see quite as much like empowerment through education within the horse world is because once you choose to empower yourself, there's no hiding behind excuses. There's no hiding behind like, you know, I just didn't have time today or I just didn't have like the right trainer or like my horse was cranky or like, you know, there's no excuse beyond that point once you choose to empower yourself. And that circles back to what we were talking about earlier, which is like, you can't unring the bell. Like once it's there, you got to listen to it. So. Right. And, and I think of, I think of both of these things as kind of like, um, like enlightenment in a certain instance and in like an, in like a mindfulness enlightenment kind of way. It's something that my husband practices a lot and I try and take bits and pieces from, but what it's like, once you've become enlightened, you don't see the possibility of do things another way you know, you can make compromises, but you cannot compromise those moral and ethical ideals that you carry around with you. Um, and I have to say, as someone who's about to undertake probably the second hardest thing I've ever done in my life being the bar, um, there's really no excuses. And it's not, that's not because I think I'm holier than thou, but wake up early, plan for the week, wake up early, do your work, like commit the time. If you, if you love if you love a horse like an art, you commit to the discipline like it's like a it's a it's an actual scientific process. You have to give it the time that you would anything else. Just like you you give fitness the time you would give it. You know, you can't just have a passing interest in it if you really want to improve your cardiovascular health or whatever it is. Absolutely. Not like I'm one to talk, but um, it's it's one of those things that you just have to do it. Kick your ass into gear. Let's go. <laughs> And if you need me to be the one calling you at 5 a.m. to get you out of bed to go get your pony, that's fine. We can do that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I really appreciate that because I think that's a big part, like, at least for me, the transition from, like, being a working student in that environment, being told what to do, and then transitioning to coming home having the really wonderful opportunity to raise like a talented young horse suddenly it was like okay, but setting your own schedule yeah and it's like okay now this is all on me and what is going to happen from here and I'll be honest there's always been like a lot of mistakes and I don't always follow through when I think I should but like that doesn't mean that we stop there we have to continue to refine the process and just continue to make those micro adjustments that'll make the big difference in the end hopefully fingers crossed (laughs) and at the end of the day we are human so mistakes are allowable I think that there's unfortunately a horse in every one of our lives that has been the the result of our first training processes before we refined our skills absolutely I love looking at you (laughs) sorry apple I could have done better um but there are I think it comes down to personal accountability and that is something that we as a, as a society kind of lack and struggle with. Um, And it's really hard when you're the motivating factor in your life and not a trainer. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I have, I have a very supportive family and I have a very supportive husband and all of that. But at the end of the day, they're not making me get up at five o'clock to go feed and to get my rides in before I need to, so I can go study for six to eight hours a day. 
they're going to be the ones that want to help at the end of the day. Oh, you're tired. Yeah. You know, you want to talk about it. That's great. That's not what I need. I have to be able to motivate myself. And that's the, that's the hard one. I think that we all struggle with. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's also like a form of like really deep self-love. And sometimes it's like, you don't want to put that upon yourself and it becomes real difficult, real fast. And you'll come up with every excuse to avoid it because it's so much easier to turn to whatever is next, like whatever is around you. So I can. Right. It's a, I I'm sure you, you understand this, but having your mental health so tied up in your horse's well-being and in the, Mm -hmm. and the progress or the lack of progress you make can be, I don't know. I find it kind of emotionally detrimental at times. Um, I'll be the first one to say it while it's great a lot it certainly has, has proven a challenge when I'm trying to, if I have a bad ride in the morning, or if I feel like I've let joy or posy down, or if I feel like I've let myself down at the end of the day. Um, and then I have to go on and move to to some really heavy lifting on other stuff that requires a lot of emotional strength. It can be really hard to motivate yourself to want to get in the saddle, um, at all, because you just, you'd much rather look at them and just be like, you're beautiful. You're grazing. You're happy. Why do I got to go ruin it? Yeah. But you have to look at these bigger goals. And sometimes these bigger goals are just having a nice partnership with your horse. And that's perfectly fine. There's nothing to look down upon that. But if you have bigger goals than that, it certainly requires a lot of uh, introspection on how to make that work for people who maybe are a little bit more emotionally intelligent or in touch with their mental health. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's having your mental health tied up with your horses. It's for me personally, like I've tried to like detangle the whole mess of cords there, but like there's always going to be a part of me that like if one of them gets injured or like something happens where I'm just like, it trickles throughout the rest of my day. And it's like until, and it's like becomes this like, like kind of like low hum in my brain where it's like, we need to get this taken care of. Otherwise I cannot move forward. Like that needs to be addressed and it becomes really difficult especially when you are someone who's doing it by yourself and there is no support team to catch you like you like everything stops with you which is I know your situation and mine as well where it's like I am the person making the call for my horses and that becomes really hard sometimes no you are 100% correct I that's one of the things I've always enjoyed talking to you about is because we while we are in different places in our lives and different places with our horses I mean you and me and Mio, of course, are kind of, we're kind of in the same boat with Poe and everything, but there is certainly a, I don't know, if you're dealing with mental health issues in general, um, one of the things that I really struggle with, especially with how people portray it online, is that the barn is always an escape. Mm -hmm. Frankly, it's not. At the end of the day, it's not. And I really wish that we would stop glorifying it as an antidepressant, because there are people who deal with much bigger issues than just the barn. And sure, it's an escape, but at the same time, it is every single weight of the world. Especially if you are someone who has the horses at home like me, you're constantly worrying about budgeting, making sure everyone has the feed correct. You have to make, and sometimes you just have to make the choice to do the things that'll make the horses happy rather than ride. And that's, I don't know, that seems like a silly choice that people don't really pay attention to. But if you've got four stalls to clean and rebed, and you've got to prep feed and you've got to unload hay and you've got to unload grain and you got to go fix that fence and you got to set up the pipe and you for the waters and you've got to, you know, you got to drag the arena, you got to de-weed everything. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. 
riding is the least important part of owning a horse. Yeah. That's it. Absolutely. Um, and I, I, I really struggle with people who have not had to undergo things that make them realize that, that the barn isn't always going to be the cure-all or you're in a position where the barn is not a cure-all. It feels like a really taboo topic to talk about sometimes because it feels like everyone online, um, especially just in our Instagram community, because of you and I run in the same circles, which is great. And I love that because that's how I met you and I'm very happy for it. And I've met tons of great people, but simultaneously, I found a lot of people who spout this kind of this damaging rhetoric about how you, how you manage yourself at the barn and how you manage your horses and how that means you should manage your own mental health. Um, if you're someone like me who has dealt with mental health issues since you were a preteen, maybe even younger, depends on when anxiety kicked in, there are things that cannot be solved by horses and that horses sometimes are triggers for uh, financial stability. You know, if you're a person who worries about money as I am, I'm constantly worried about money. Um, or if you're having a really crap day and you're worried about getting on and maybe taking that on your horse, the barn isn't always going to be sanctuary. It is in, in beautiful places. It's like a church, you know, you go and you, and you have your worship and, but it doesn't mean it's always going to be that place. And I wish that we would really recognize that because I think that would normalize a lot of mental health stuff that riders go through. And it would normalize us talking about the fact that we have these really complex relationships with these horses because they're just more than a pet, like my little dog sitting over here. I love her dearly, but she's not like a guiding light in my life. I'm going to take great care of her no matter what. But I, I literally bred a horse into being, and I'm responsible for that life no matter what happens. And I have the two other ones that I've been responsible for for 20 years. And now coming up on, I think it's Joy has been 12 years. She's just turned 12. And it feels so put upon to impose this idea that if you don't make the barn great, then you don't appreciate the horse. You're not grateful. Yeah. We're always grateful, but sometimes the gratitude is tiring. And can we just normalize that? Yeah. And sometimes the gratitude is, sometimes the gratitude is hard. And oh, sometimes yeah. it feels like you, you question yourself a lot more than you ever thought you would. And why isn't it okay to normalize that? to talk about that because we do have these complex relationships with horses like we do with people. It's, you know, like I talked to my therapist about my relationships with my horses and, and the complex myriad of things that come with that, especially if you feel like you can constantly do better. God, you know, that really ruins your mental health. And sometimes you have to prioritize yourself over the horses. The horses are going to be fine in a paddock with enough hay. Yeah. They're going to be fine. They don't, they don't give a crap about our training schedules or about any shows that we want to go to, or even if you feel good about yourself, to be perfectly honest, yeah. they just, they're happy. And as long as you provide them a happy life, we can be able to take the time for ourselves to, to make ourselves the people that our horses should have. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think I am always grateful to be at the barn, but it's not mm -hmm. like, it's not always like an easy breezy like you know like sunshine and roses living a blessed life over here right like, going to see my horses <laughs> like I'm not saying that my life isn't blessed it's very like 
There's so many things that are wonderful. But at the same time, (laughs) you feel the need to disclaimer that the same way that I did. Yeah. Because if we don't say those things, then people are, we think that people are going to come after us as being like bad horse owners or bad people for not understanding that, yes, we live a really privileged opportunity to have these animals and to participate in their well-being and to develop them the way that we want. But at the same time, that privilege comes with weight. Yeah. And I wish that we would stop having to explain that. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I love Acades so much, but he is a really difficult horse. And it has been really difficult to, like, say goodbye to many dreams that I thought were going to happen to him. And it's, like, hard because that does burden your relationship with the horse. Like, it's not like his and mine relationship is, like, always this beautiful, bright, clean thing in my life. Like, I told you before we started recording, like, I've just had to let him sit out in the pasture for a week because it's, like, right now we're just not talking, not speaking. We both need space away from each other. And I think that you are onto something about if we can talk about that, like, I, I've always said like, oh, my horses saved me. But the truth of it is that I saved myself and I saved myself by making yes. sure that my horses were provided for, that my horses did get whatever I at least had within my knowledge, the power to give them. But I think it's really hard because- Good for you. <laughs> That's exactly what I would love to hear from everyone. Yeah. But I think it's it's just really easy to get caught up in like that- romantic imagery where you're just like this horse came into my life and he saved me and it was amazing and like then we rode off into the sunset especially because we're fed like I think two very distinct things number one is like the horse person who just like all the horses flock to them and they're just like you know the messiah of horses and then the other (laughs) one is just like and the other one is like you know there's this person and they rescued the horse but then the horse rescued them and it's like those are the two storylines we're fed and often it's not that it's like these like murky gray areas that we have to navigate especially when you have like deeper ambitions coming into play and it's hard not to be resentful when those goals aren't met or they aren't met to like your exacting standards so. Right. I, I could not agree more. Um, I think that's one of the, it is, it is a privilege to have a horse that is talented, right. It, and have a horse that is talented in the way that you want it to be, or in the way that you desire to, to fulfill your writing life um, or your writing career, really. Like I, I always wanted to be a dressage writer and then Joy came along and she made me one, but at the same time, she also made me feel like shit and in response to that really she didn't do it but I made myself feel bad because I was clearly not doing this exceptionally talented young horse justice I was not doing what she could have done with any I have a a friend who's a writer down here who I I could not love more he's an exceptional human being had I given joy to him as like a, a three and a four year old she'd probably be a grand prix horse and she'd probably be winning in the 75s you know but I'm here and I'm trying to make the best of it. And sometimes that's hard to come to terms with. Um, And one of the things that I struggled with, I think, especially in the past couple of years, because a lot of big changes have happened in my life in the sense that my world is no longer just providing for my horses. Um, I finished law school. I started law school, which was the big one. Like that was enormous. I got married, which I never expected to do. Um, I 
bred a horse, which was a long time goal of mine that I always wanted to have. I wanted Joy to be like my, my F line broodmare if something ever happened. And she produced this exceptional young horse. But at the same time, I brought all this additional responsibility and goal setting onto myself. And sometimes it feels like who would I have been if I had just been able to let this go and to wait for a while. Um, And it sucks that that's not something that we can talk about more openly because we all struggle with those kinds of thoughts. We all struggle with these thoughts because yeah, at the end of the day, we're lucky. We have the most amazing animals in our lives and not that dogs aren't amazing, amazing or cats aren't amazing, but we have these exceptionally intimate relationships with our horses. They know us better than we know ourselves. And sometimes that's cruel. Sometimes joy will point to a part of me and be like, you've got to work on that. Oh yeah. And that, I know how to find it. Right. That hurts. <laughs> And sometimes you don't have the emotional capacity because the rest of your life is pulling at that part, right? And so you have to learn to prioritize. And you're right, sometimes it's just easier to, and more fulfilling to just watch them be horses out in the pasture for a little while until you can, you can find your center and learn to understand why you started feeling that way. But at the same time, that means that you have to have the ability to have that emotional intelligence to be able to reflect on your feelings which happen to come from an animal that don't speak English it's so much work um I just I I wish we talked about it more I really do because I know you feel the same way I the fact that I'm able to give Apple his golden ears like in return everything that he he gave me really just like breaks my heart <laughs> and that we have this opportunity to, to support him. But at the same time, and I wouldn't have it any other way, but at the same time, you're like, this was really a lifelong commitment. And sometimes as a, as a teenager, you don't realize what a lifelong commitment is. It's like, you think your high school boyfriend's going to last forever. Right. <laughs> and in reality, the relationship that you had with an animal is going to last for what if you're lucky if you're not if you're lucky if you're if you're unlucky uh 10 years apple's going on 20 yeah and and i hope to have him for another 10 but there there are heavy decisions that come with that and there's a lot of um pain that comes with watching something age that's hard boy would i would like i would like to relegate that to someone else (laughs) because that just sits in sits in your heart and it's like oh time is not a flat circle time is real and this is this is the representation of it and then you've got all these other generations where you're like oh my god i'm gonna have to deal with this in 20 years oh my god if i'm lucky i get to deal with this in 20 years um and it's it's a long-term commitment and i think we all really should talk about it more (laughs) I think it would, it would make us a lot more, a, a lot more um, in tune with ourselves and each other at the end of the day. I agree. And I also think it would, I think the, the reason why there's a lot of avoidance though of that particular area of horses is that once you stop avoiding it, you're not going to be able to, like you're going to have to call out the things that are wrong with the industry yeah. right then and there. And then you can't allow them, especially if you feel like, like, I don't know about you, but I have a deep sense of justice and I'm just like, I cannot allow this to move forward. Like, yeah. And it's just like, 
once you do that, there's no going back. Like you have to commit to it. And I think that's the thing is like people want to have those surface relationships and there's, I'm not going to judge anyone for wanting that. We all have to take whatever works best for us. But like, I think if we just linger on the surface, like an insect floating above the water, that we're never going to change the sport, not for us and not for anyone who comes after. And that's where I have like a real deep, like a real deep sense of like anger and justice. And I'm like, this has to change because it impacts everything from how we develop as humans to like how we choose to take care of our horses. There's no escaping it at that point. So no, know, we got I, real I deep, real agree. fast on this podcast. Today. <laughs> I love that's it. totally fine. So, so t- if I can ask you a question, yeah, if I can course. pose you a question, tell me more about that. About tell me tr- more about like, yeah, about how you would. I don't know if it's a change you want to see or if it's something that you you wish people could like have an out of body experience and deal with one time, or you know, and see how it impacts them. Like, how does that? what what is the goal from that feeling because the goal obviously resonates with you and I we you and I and I I think this is one of the wonderful things about being your friend is that we share a lot of commonality it not only in our backgrounds but also in how we want to change from those backgrounds like and how we were taught and things we learned um and it's, it, it's not like you're hiding like secrets in the closet. There are some secrets that I need to stay in the closet, but yeah. I think the more openly we can talk about those kinds of things and the feelings that you are reiterating right now, the, the better at the next generation, hopefully can grow and develop and be better horsemen and women. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, for me, the big thing is that I don't think you can I don't think it's like any one person should be a monolith within the industry. I think it's a burden that we all take on and should take on in order to change the industry around us. Because like I said, not only do we benefit, but the horses benefit as well. If you can treat humans with empathy, you can transfer that onto horses. And for me, a big thing, which like I've talked about a little bit on Instagram is that, and also on here is that I've had a really abusive trainer growing up and I promise myself, yeah, Yeah. which I know you and I have talked about at length, and it like it completely reshapes who you are as a person, and it really, um, I don't want to say it taints the love that you have for horses, but you can't see it with the same bright, sparkly lens anymore. Like the barn can become unsafe horses can become unsafe and they can't it no longer becomes sanctuary yep exactly so and that also like instills you with so much doubt because like this thing that is some days just tethering you to like the earth is suddenly so fragile like it goes from being like this iron chain to like a piece of like a spider web that could just like blow and there it goes like good luck now you're floating off into the distance So for me, the big thing is like figuring out like where my ethical boundary is. And I think everyone needs to have that introspective conversation with themselves. And what are the things- Couldn't agree more. Yeah. (laughs) And what are the things that I will not allow within this boundary? And for me, I always say, 
the shame and the violence stops with me. Like I am not going to lay my hand on any horse in a moment of anger or in a moment of like pure violence, which I think is what we see a lot. And the shame part of it is I think professionals within the industry put that upon young riders in order to make them feel powerless, which goes back to your point about seizing our like education and making sure that we're responsible for it. So for me, that's like, I think if everyone could take a chance and like have that conversation with themselves and say like, this is my moral and ethical boundary. These are the things I'm not allowing into it. And these are the reasons why, then I think we can start to see more of a positive change. But I don't think that everyone wants to do that. And I'm it's a lot of heavy lifting for people who maybe who maybe don't want to do it. Yeah. And I don't know how we other than showing up every day and sharing parts of ourselves that we feel comfortable. I don't know how we incite that change. I think the only way to do it is to like, you know, summon whatever sliver of courage you have and share it. And it doesn't have to be on social media. It could just be talking to your barn friends or your family one of the things that I found really beneficial I'm sorry I did not mean to interrupt is that um so I use like a little writing app um it's Equilab like I I share it when I use it but it has a note function that I use religiously it's not public for good reason but it is probably where I'm the it's like me keeping a writing journal or a writing diary and I can be really honest with myself about my shortcomings and where I need to be bigger. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that that's an alternative to sharing on social media. Most people think that if it's not social media worthy, then it's not worthy at all. Mm-hmm. And that's could not be more from yeah. a more alternative to what I think you and I both believe, because there are much bigger issues than just like how high you can jump or what level of dressage you're scoring at. And Absolutely. Um, I think it all comes down to how honest can you be with yourself? Just like you said. Yeah. Also, I feel like anytime someone's like, I don't know how to start sharing. And I'm like, I don't think any of us know how to start sharing until you start, like, you can't know how to do something until you attempt to do it. And then once you've attempted to do it, then you can either dig in your heels and make that judgment call, like, no, this isn't for me. Or you can choose to pick yourself up and keep moving forward. And that's what I hope people do is that like, you choose to pick yourself up. You choose to keep moving forward. You choose to like live by the list of ideals that you set for yourself and your horses. Like those to me, like I'm, I'm a religious person, but like the ideals I set for myself and my horses are like things. Commandments. I will, yeah. They, I will never break them. Those are like the guidelines I live my life by more than religion, more than faith in myself. Like how I treat my horses is how I live my life. And maybe that's not the most healthiest, but that's the way that I can kind of perpetuate change, not only within horses, but like within myself is like, I have to really like, it's like what you were saying when you're committing to making the change, like that's what I'm committing to. I'm committing to these standards and those standards have never let me down. So that's what I have to. Right. I completely agree. I think that I'm a lot like you in that same sense where 
I have these standards that I don't want to break. And I have these, like these promises that I've made to myself and to my horses that I honestly continue to break that not because I want to, but because I'm still learning to get past the trauma that was instilled in me as a young writer all the way up until, until you're late. I mean, I was, I was 17, almost 18 at the time I split from the person who kind of left those marks on me. And I'm still like, I'm still paying retribution for those years. I'm still trying to unlearn lessons that I learned in those years. Um, and, and sometimes I fail and, and I try and be really honest about that, like with you or with, um, you know, with my husband, because he's the first person who sees me after I come in from a 5am ride, (laughs) um, or, you know, my girlfriends that I, I primarily talk to on Instagram because they're horsey people and I don't have many of those in my area anymore, but I try, I try and be painfully honest to the point that it's like, it hurts me to share, but I know that sharing it holds me accountable. It doesn't really matter if other people think poorly of me for that or for what I've done, because they know that my life is such a, is a much bigger picture to that. And like a moment of weakness or a moment of frustration, because that's what I really struggle with is um, I had a trainer who escalated because she didn't know any better in hindsight. Like she had never been educated in that sense. And so she kind of instilled it into a bunch of young writers that like, kind of like dominance theory, you know, like the more frustrated you get, the more not necessarily violent you become, but the more aggressive you become, the better. And that's something that no matter how much I, I subscribe to uh, some like R plus principles. And I believe that my, my writing has come in leaps and bounds since then. And so is my understanding of horses, but I still fail. And that's what brings me into these kind of shame spirals. But I try to be as open about those as possible in the hopes that it encourages someone else to maybe move through the, that same feeling. to 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 face what they're dealing with break it down into the trigger and then try to establish how you can move forward from there sometimes for me it's just not carrying a whip like at the end of the day it's just not like not carrying the whip it doesn't matter sometimes it's you know we're just gonna go out and we're gonna have a trail right (laughs) i'm just gonna do a couple transitions here and there but it you know, it's, it's hard to kind of come to terms with those shortcomings within yourself because you feel so responsible for what you cause. And that can be really hard. Yeah, no. And I think what you mentioned about sharing though, I think the reason why it's so important is because it's not that you're not, you're going to feel better necessarily, but then you feel worse, arguably. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes you're just like, man, like, (laughs) was this the right choice? But like, in being courageous enough to share those moments that aren't perfect you're creating space for others to know that they are not alone that like this is not something that they alone struggle with which I think is like a huge thing in having horses yes yes Yes. you are it's always you and your horse like a team of two and it's just like sometimes you it's you two against the world but it's not absolutely and like fighting your account and so many others just realizing that like I'm not alone that these issues are something that others face persistently has made the biggest difference in how I handle horses but it also like has empowered 
need to be like, okay, no, I can share stuff too. I can find my own courage and create, carve my own path. And I think I really wish that's something that everyone would do. Like, I know if you do choose to share on social media, I know it's so tough, especially like when you see these perfect moments, but I just hope people know. And that's one of the, that's one of the reasons that I started sharing like unedited chunks of writing because look, I sure I don't have an exceptional FEA pedigree because I did a couple of shows. I got my silver medal and I literally had to commit myself to law school. Um, and since then all of my return plans have gone to crap. Like it just has not, it's not come to fruition and arguably maybe that means it was just not the right time. Even if it felt like it was the right time so closely sometimes, but I think that there's a, a huge misunderstanding that all dressage and all horse riding is light and happiness. And it's not Mm -hmm. because social media allows us to share the highlight reel of everything. So despite what some people thought about videos being too long, I, I thought that sharing chunks of training, whether that's with Posey or originally it started with joy was just like, here's the 10 minutes of whatever work this is, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stuff that needs to be improved upon. Just know that you're not the only person out there, whoever you are, that yeah. is dealing with these kinds of inconsistencies in your work. That doesn't mean the work's not good. Yeah. It just means that it, it happens. And I, I wish that we could continue to follow through on those kinds of feelings a lot more. Like, I wish I could touch base on all of those people. Be like, Hey, (laughs) tell me what's up. (laughs) We got this. We can do it. Rather than just being like at a big old fancy barn and someone's like helping you school your horse the whole time. Yeah, no, I've definitely not had the privilege or the opportunity to have that kind of structured guidance and I do think it makes a huge difference and I don't know it's just what like, I will say yeah. what I will say to counter you is that it also breeds a sense of dependency that's fair that's fair yeah. not it not in everyone like not that it's a, a detrimental thing but um I I know for a fact that people who kind of commit themselves to those situations don't have the ability to then make independent decisions or feel like they are allowed to make independent decisions or feel like they're educated enough. And sometimes you are. Yeah. Well, that circles back to what we talked about earlier, as far as like choosing to empower yourself through education, which is something all writers, including myself could be better at. (laughs) Look, we're doing, look, if, if you recognize that that's something that you're working on you've already shown up, you're already doing better than most people. You're already doing something for your horse that a lot of people don't even understand as a thing that you can do. So I think that you're doing a great job. (laughs) Pat yourself on the back. Thanks, Bailey. I appreciate it. All right. So we are going to wrap. I I could honestly talk to you for forever. I think we both know that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me on and listening to my rambling. I, I do appreciate it. I am always happy to listen to any rambling. (laughs) All right. So we're going to wrap up um, and I always have some lighthearted questions, but before we jump into those, could you share how, if people want to connect with you, what would be the best way to do so? Sure. Um, I'm primarily on Instagram. I don't really use Facebook or anything because I don't like social media in general, but I do like Instagram. Um, You can find me at joyful underscore dressage. You will see a lot of red horses and that's me. Um, you can 
can also find me at joyfuldressage.com. It's just the, the blog that I run. It's not anything exceptional, but there's fun photos and occasionally a, an interesting write-up about stuff. So those are the best ways to contact me. Awesome. And I will include those in the show notes. And now we're going to dive into some lighthearted questions. So the first one, aside from Apple, Joy, and Posey, could you describe your dream horse? Oh, because I got mine already. Yeah. Uh, Aside from those three, because I've had people be like, I already have my dream horse. And now I'm just like, no, 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 we are going to. I know. I I literally (laughs) dreamed as a little girl of having a chestnut mare with a star and four socks. So um, I would love to have a um, like a a schoolmaster of some kind, I guess, uh, to include in my in my program. Uh, Actually, no, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to take that back at all. I would really like to have an apple joy cross of some kind, like maybe a big nab stripper. I love them. I think they're so great. Um, And I think that they're really cool all around horses and they can do really well at everything. I'd like to have like a a warm blood Appaloosa. I would take that. I love that. That'd be fun. (laughs) Yeah, that would be super fun. All right. Now, if you had to choose, would you ride on the beach or in the mountains? Mm, Mountains. I've already done the beach man, everyone out here, team mountains. I'm just like, I want to ride on the beach, (laughs) but like, I swear. You and I will go. We got it. We'll go. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. I'll put another one down for team mountains. I know you're going to have to like get us all together. We can take a trip. (laughs) I think at some point I'm going to have to like tally up who said what. And then like at the end of the season, be like, we have this many for this option and this many for this option. Are you team mountain or team beach? And who are you going with? (laughs) Absolutely. I could do that. (laughs) All right. So who, and this doesn't, this question doesn't have to be limited to dressage, but who is your current, and it doesn't have to be a professional rider (laughs) pair either, but who is your current uh, favorite horse and rider pair that you just like absolutely cannot get enough of? I can never get enough of Ingrid Klimke ever because and michael young because they are the true representation of horsemanship no matter what they're doing because they're both fei dressage show jumpers and eventers on any of their horses i just love them no i love that and they are both amazing i know they're when angry Klimke followed me back on instagram i was like oh my god <laughs> and i had a panic attack oh you're like we're really to sweet. be friends we are yeah she friends. sent me a really nice little message and it was it was I, I it made my day I was like I never need to do anything else ever again I'm oh, done that's, best, <laughs> that's like one of the best parts of social media like what's it called I've been like a Catherine Haddad like fangirl because she's from Michigan yes. and I'm like mm-hmm. yeah and like she's from the same area of Michigan that I'm from and so oh I'm she really like, yeah so I'm just like can we be friends and she like followed me back once and I was just like and of course she's still following me but like I was just like let's be friends right now friendship packed please and thank you we can do this yeah. yes please I love you <laughs> exactly so it's always that's one of the best parts of being on social media for sure okay so if your riding journey had a theme song, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my gosh. I, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm choking on myself because no. I didn't ever expect that. That's hysterical. That's like the one question I, I've never had an answer for. 
Um, let's see. And it sucks because I don't even listen to like pop radio. I'm gonna have to pull up my songs on Spotify to figure this out. <laughs> I, I guess it would be Joy by Iron and Wine. At the end of the day, it would be Joy by Iron and Wine. Or um, yeah, I think I'm gonna stick with Iron and Wine. Oh, okay. it's the best one. <laughs> All right, and then if Apple, Joy, Posy, Penny, and Tossy were sorted by the Sorting Hat, which Hogwarts house oh! would they be in? <laughs> okay. So Apple's a total Hufflepuff. Okay. Like 100%. He, he is so great. Um, but he is a, he's a sweet boy. He's a kind boy. <laughs> Joy is absolutely a Gryffindor. And Posey is, I think she's falling on the Ravenclaw spectrum. Okay. She's falling more that way. Because I'm a Ravenclaw myself. So oh. <laughs> um, Penny would definitely be a... Uh, I think she would probably be a Gryffindor as well. And then Tozy, who's, she's named after Christina Tozy, the baker. So she got her little last, she loves food. She's also quite shy. She's a little, she's a little Midwestern girl. So um, she would probably be a Hufflepuff as well. And then the only Slytherin that we have in this household is my husband because he took the Pottermore quiz and he ended up being a Slytherin. And I was like, oh no, maybe we got (laughs) to talk about that. Oh, I love that you're a Ravenclaw. I'm a Gryffindor. Always. Are you really? I, that does not surprise me at all. I, I love it. I feel like it's so basic, but I'm just like I'm a leader. No, it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's kind of like. It, have you ever done sixteen personalities or sixteen? Yeah, six, we yes, talked about this. Okay. Yes. So when I was younger, I did that around the same time that I did like the Pottermore quiz, and it said that I was a Gryffindor in my, you know, it's my sixteen personalities, and I did it again as an adult because my dad wanted us to know, like he wanted to know which each one of his children his like son-in-law fell in the Gryffindor or in the Harry Potter houses. So I did that and I did the 16 personalities quiz and it changed completely. So I turned into a Ravenclaw and my, my, my 16 personalities thing changed too. So I guess we just grow sometimes. That's fair. You know. That's fair. Also 16 personalities is amazing. I have like my whole I thing screenshotted on my phone so I can refer back to it days. I'm not feeling myself. I'm like, okay, let me break this. Where, what's again. happening here? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So the last question I have for you is what is a favorite quote or one that you draw strength from? Um, my mentor, when I was a teenager, we were sitting down and we were, we were talking, I had just done like 12 stalls and he was having a beer. So we were talking and he said, um, as soon as someone says, that they, that they're done learning, that they've lived everything as a, they've, they've learned everything as a writer. Um, they shouldn't return to the saddle. I love that. And that has stuck with me consistently. And then of course the, the, the quote that says, uh, the only two emotions in this allowed in the saddle are humility and a sense of humor, but that's one that I think we fight with mental health a little bit. So I, I tend to tend, turn to my mentors a little bit more. Yeah. It's a, it's always stuck with me because he's not a young man and he still believes that kind of stuff and still believes that he's still learning. And I think we all can take something from that. Yeah, absolutely. And not just with horses, but with everything we choose to do in our lives. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for recording this episode with me. And I know we're going to talk soon as we always do. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I, 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 could not be more proud of you for doing something like this. And I cannot wait to 
share the hell out of it. And um, I can't wait to listen to more episodes too. you all for tuning in for this episode of the Every Writer Has a Story podcast, and I want to thank Bailey for being such an amazing guest. I hope our conversation was one that could encourage you to empower and take charge of your life, both at the barn and outside of it, because whatever your goals and ambitions are, they are worth the time and effort, and you should be the one who is in control of where they are leading you. If you want to get in touch with Bailey, and follow along with her amazing herd. Her Instagram handle and a link to her site have been included in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in for this episode of the Every Writer Has a Story podcast, and if you want to keep up with all future episodes, make sure you hit the subscribe button. I'll see you on the next one. Bye!